you have like a halo. It's beautiful. Windows are just washing me out completely. <laughs> okay. Do you um, feel prepared and ready? Yes. This is why it's so difficult for us to take pictures together. Interracial friend problems. I know. Hello, vampire-loving gals and pals, and welcome to Summer Twilight Book Club, the show where the two people you always thought were super weird and obnoxious in high school prove you right by wasting their precious free time doing feminist content analysis of a book that routinely makes them want to claw their own eyes out. I'm Sahana. And I'm Kat. Sahana, for those who may be uninitiated, could you remind us all... Why the fuck we're doing this? Uh, What a great question. So for those of you that are new to the podcast, welcome to hell. Uh, We're here to not so lovingly dissect Stephanie Meyer's literary masterpiece, Twilight, because as we grew older and reflected on the sacred tome of our youth, we realized that it was super, super flawed um, in ways that actually like noticeably fucked us up and our conception of what relationships are supposed to be like. Um, So that's why we're here. Yeah. You know, we might... Uh, hate ourselves we sure do love hearing ourselves talk so great uh, here we are (laughs) um but before i give you the previous chapter recap which normally goes right here and i know you're all waiting for i first need to make a correction to something i said on a previous episode uh a factual error if you will um so in an earlier episode sahana brought up um a character from big mouth uh, having sex with and a relationship with a pillow. Yeah. And having never seen the show before, I was like, me, as a child, <laughs> having now seen all of uh, Big Mouth, I really would like to revise that statement. Uh, well, I am a horny freak, my masturbation <laughs> habits were not that of Jay, as voiced by uh, Jason Manzoukas. No. What were that of... Missy, as voiced by my cool aunt, Jenny Slate. So it's more like Missy doing the wormy dance, uh, right down actually to the whole masturbating at school thing. Oh, boy. Like, I felt a little uncomfortable with how much I related to that moment. (laughs) Anyway. um, Um, Watch Big Mouth on Netflix, you know? (laughs) Great. Um, Wait, but also speaking of weird sex and dating things, uh, I do want to briefly give a shout out to my amazing neighbor, Noelle, who apparently got tired of me and Katie talking about how we literally know nothing about Mormons and sex. Um, And so was gracious enough to put together this really amazing document that's like a primer for us on Mormonism and dating in the Mormon community. Um, And after reading all the stuff that she put together about all the like strict rules about premarital sex, Bella and Edward's weird tracing games make a lot more sense. So thank you, Noelle, for that context. You've been incredibly helpful. Yeah, thank you. I have not read it yet. So if I say anything uh, this episode, sorry, I didn't get there yet. Um... (laughs) So now I can go on to tell you about uh, what you need to know about the previous chapters of Twilight to understand what's going on in this episode. Although I will say, if you're jumping in at this episode, that's a very weird choice. Yeah, I don't know why you're here. Not like Like, why you're here, because obviously we're delightful and you love us. But I mean, here specifically in this episode, go back. Start at the beginning. Love yourself. But in case you just need a reminder, because there is a lot going on, um, here you go. Bella is an average girl who somehow fell in 
to a relationship with a manipulative vampire named Edward. After attending a family baseball game with Edward and his family of vegan vampires, Bella is discovered by a coven of just like some strange vampires who came to play ball. They just love baseball, you guys. It's the American pastime. Yes. One of them, uh, James, is a tracker, which means he hunts for sport. Uh, He has his eyes set on Bella, and Edward and his family have no choice, I guess, but to protect Bella at all costs. Bella hatches what is probably the worst escape plan that involves going home, telling her dad, Charlie, that she's going to go back home to her mom's house in Phoenix, but then actually go back to Phoenix, where she'll live as a 17-year-old drifter. That's her plan. She's just going to, like, hang out in Phoenix, and she's like, I could probably rent an apartment. Bitch, you're 17. So anyways, that's her plan to throw James off the trail, and the vegan vampires agree to her plan, and bring in her dad's house to execute it, which brings us to now. That's where we are. So... After agreeing to execute the worst conceived plan that the Pacific Northwest has seen since those dummies in Oregon tried to blow up a dead whale with dynamite, uh, (laughs) Bella and Edward get back to Bella's house to try to somehow convince Charlie to let Bella leave Forks. Um, And there's this, like, very genuinely sweet moment, which I feel like is pretty rare for this book, but Bella gets kind of emotional when she realizes how much she's going to miss Emmett. She's like, you know, I I didn't even know him that well, and I realized that I was really, like, going to be upset about not being able to see him for a while. And then this moment is immediately interrupted by Edward having precisely zero chill uh, and ordering everybody to get a fucking move on. Um, Edward, so they're in the car and Edward continuously repeats to Bella that she has 15 minutes to pack. He's like, you have 15 minutes, Bella, which is fucking absurd to me because even in the best of circumstances, it takes me at least two hours to pack (laughs) for anything. Like, that's so real. And okay. Like, admittedly most of that time is spent agonizing over which netflix show to watch while packing and then also loudly complaining that all of my clothes are the same color but that's neither here nor there point is for for real though 15 minutes is ridiculous i mean when i pack to go overnight somewhere i spend like eight hours deciding on which pairs of underwear to go with and then i end up packing a bunch of clothes and none of which are like something that cohesively goes in out oh no no i am it's just like shirts and bottoms that i like that have nothing to do with each other yeah and then you end up wearing the same three outfits because those are the only ones that make sense point being 15 minutes is not a reasonable amount of time to pack so bella's in the car she's like getting ready and she whispers passionately which are bella's words and not mine to edward oh oh okay whispers passionately though i was in the library when i was uh reading this part (laughs) across from uh my good bud ian uh and i tried it on him i tried whispering passionately how'd it go uh, uh, it didn't go well. <laughs> uh, it, what? it didn't go poorly, but I saw no effect. Okay, sure. He didn't seem, he did not crawl out of his chair and, like, over to me at the table or anything. Uh, yeah, I don't so. really know what the intent here of, of Bella's passionate whispering is. Um, point being, so he, she whispers passionately to Edward that he shouldn't pay attention to anything she says to Charlie. And then she proceeds to throw the greatest teenage temper tantrum I have ever seen. Like, I want to give Bella credit for how good this temper tantrum is. Um, she really, like, nails petulant over a dramatic teenager. Like, she storms into the house. She, like, slams the door. She's yelling about how she never wants to see Edward again. She, like, physically pushes past Charlie. And I want to say... But if I had ever pulled this kind of shit with my parents, I would not have survived the hour. 
Like, oh yeah, no. This kind of behavior, I feel like, is a luxury afforded only to white teenagers. Like, you can only get away with storming through your house, screaming, and like pushing your family around if you are a white child. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I couldn't have gotten away with that, but I'm. I would agree still. Um, also, okay, also, Charlie's response to Bella's tantrum just makes me so sad. Like, her, his immediate response <laughs> is to get angry and ask if Edward hurt her, which honestly, on the one it's hand, like, it warms my fucking heart that he's such a good dad, and simultaneously it makes me so sad because the answer is yes, of course he hurt her, like, he's a monster. Uh, literally, he's literally a monster. Um... And of course, he could do so much worse, but Bella's immediately like, no, he didn't hurt me. I broke up with him. Um, Which, like, why didn't she just say, like, oh, we got in a fight. I don't like him anymore. Yeah. Because she doesn't want Edward to hear that, even though she just told him not to listen. Like, I don't, I don't know. So she runs up to her room. She slams the door. Edward is already in her room packing up her shit, which is creepy as fuck. And also, like... I can't think of anybody that would trust their boyfriend to pack for a trip for them. Oh, God, no. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> like, there's no, I, I, that would not end well. Um, but anyway, so oh, he's, God. like, throwing, she even says that he's just, like, throwing random shit into a duffel bag. So, while he's doing that, Bella's yelling to Charlie about how she broke up with Edward because she likes him too much. Um, and. I like him too much. I can't date him anymore. Yeah, it's great. It's too overwhelming. Excellent logic, Bella. Um, so Charlie is trying as hard as he can to not let her leave because he is apparently the only character with any sense at all. Um, and it's just like, it's so... Yeah, like, okay, it's nighttime, by the way, for right. who's listening. Like, this is a person with a car, with a truck, that, like, can barely make it down the road. Right. It's like, it can't go, like, 55. Right. She's going to leave in the middle of the night to what? drive back to phoenix and it's so to it's go like to so the upsetting because charlie even says he's like it's so he's so genuinely concerned about her he's like you can't leave because it's night like you're you can't go alone and she just fucking ignores him um like how how exactly was she gonna leave i don't know I what her i don't know um i don't know how she thought that he was just gonna be okay with her leaving um and he so he actually he's a almost, police chief like oh god um, Is that going to give her a police escort to the airport? Right. So he he actually almost successfully gets her to stay because he mentions something about her mom. Um, but Bella gets him to let her go by literally repeating the words that her mom said to him when she walked out on him, like, when Bella was a kid. And I... Jesus Christ. So Bella literally... She says out... Like, she says explicitly that she recognizes that what she says to him to get him to let her go is awful but i don't think she ever really acknowledges quite how manipulative it is for her to go right for his weak spot like i don't know i guess like i didn't think that i don't know well continue i just i mean i don't know like i feel like she very purposefully repeats the exact words that her mom said when her mom left Charlie was just fucking brutal because she knows that that's what's going to get Charlie to let her go. And yeah, I guess like, all okay, I so thought in that moment was like, damn, Edward really taught her well how to manipulate people. See, that part I thought was kind of weird only because of what the last words were, like, which made it less impactful to me. Like, the idea of like, I'm going to repeat the last words my mom ever said to you sounded impactful, but the actual last, last words were like, Really I generic. think they're like, I really like, hate forks. Yeah, I was like, I hate forks. And it's like, 
those aren't last words you remember. Yeah. Like, those aren't last words to me that I would be like, oh, God, she's saying exactly what her mother said. And it's also, like, not like Charlie's that attached to, like... I don't get the impression that Charlie particularly loves Fork so much as it is that he's just very set in his ways. He just like, lives there. Yeah. You know? I, it does, so, like, it does seem kind of anticlimactic after all of that buildup. Yeah, because she's like, I'm going to hurt. I'm going to say exactly what my mom said. And then she's like, I don't like Fork. Like, <laughs> so I guess that part to me was just kind of like, okay, like, I guess that was manipulative. Like, I know you were trying to be manipulative, but... Yeah, no, that's so. Fair. I guess I had a different emotional reaction to that part. Like, I agree with you that it was like a manipulative move, but like the actual content of it was so like, mm. yeah, um, yeah, that's fair. Um, but so the other thing that I think is important to note in this part where she's leaving is that she like mentions that she wishes she could just explain everything to Charlie. Like, she's like, I wish I could just tell him what was going yeah. on, and then she goes. But I know that I'll never be able to. And that moment just made me so sad because I feel like it's just another reminder of how her relationship with Edward has just so totally isolated her from her friends and her family that she really has no other comfort or support system. Like, can you imagine going through something this, like, horrifying and frankly traumatic? Like, she's being hunted and she can't talk to anyone about it. And the only person that, like, knows what's going on, who she has a relationship with, refuses to, like, listen to her or include her in plan making or, like, respect her autonomy. It's fucked. I can't imagine a stranger giving me a dirty look and me not, like, having five conversations about Yes! It. Like, anytime, so, like, any like, anytime I experience a minor inconvenience, at least three people are getting texted about it. So I cannot imagine... Like, being in this situation and being like, well, I guess I'm just never going to tell my dad that I was hunted by a vampire. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I can't imagine this at all. Oh, okay. So, Bella and Edward drive away from Casa Swan, and Edward... Oh, get my book ready. Edward decides that Bella is just too emotional to drive. So I what, gotta read this part out loud. What does he do? You all may be asking yourselves. So, dear readers, turn to page 395. Um, Edward because Cullen. Because it's ridiculous. Edward Cullen forcibly removes Bella from the driver's seat of her car while she is driving. Here we go. Edward reached out for my hand. Pull over, he said, as the house and Charlie disappeared behind us. I can drive, I said, uh, through the tears pouring down my cheeks. And then here's the most baffling part of all. I just pay. I would love you all to pay very close attention to the description of the mechanics okay. of this section I'll, I because will, they read it. baffle me. Please. I will read it very clearly. His long hands unexpectedly gripped my waist and his foot pushed mine off the gas pedal. He pulled me across his lap, wrenching my hands free of the wheel. And suddenly he was in the driver's seat. My truck didn't swerve an inch. Now, granted, a lot of trucks don't have, um, like, they have a bench seat in front, and, you know, so they don't have... So there's, like, not a center console? Not a center console. But still, I cannot imagine, like, one, how do they even both fit under the wheel? Right, like, like, did he slide her... How does he get his foot on the gas pedal without moving her out of the way first? How fucking long are his legs? Like, what is the ratio for Edward Cullen of torso to leg to make this work? 
Like, you I know we're just talking at the same time and no one can understand us. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. I don't know what you just said either. What a new experience for us. Um, but anyways, the gas pedal's not that big. How are they doing it? Right. What I was saying is that I don't understand what the ratio of torso to leg has to be for Edward Cullen for his legs to be long enough for him to be able to reach over and put his foot on the gas pedal without being underneath Bella. Uh, I, I imagine he's doing it with the incorrect foot. Like, I imagine he's doing it with his left foot. So it could be, like, pretty much right next to Bella yeah, at the time if it's a bench seat. Still. But, like, how does he... How does he like get her hands off the wheel? And, like, well, I guess he's really strong. Says, he just like it says that he puts his hands on her waist. So if his hands are on her waist, how is he getting her hands off the steering wheel? I think he has one hand on the steering wheel. Okay, so I think like his right hand is on the steering but wheel. But it says no, 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 it foot. says his long hands unexpectedly gripped my waist, and then it said he pulled me across his lap, wrenching my hands free the wheel. So is he just pulling her? by the waist with so much force that she like has to let go of the wheel because that, that must seems be true like, but that the seems other part like a lot that seems like a violent amount of force yeah that must be like, it has to be that much force but she doesn't describe it that way but then also i feel like like her car must just have a really good alignment like <laughs> well yeah because she literally says like oh the car didn't swerve at all Maybe her, maybe no one's hand was on the wheel for a little bit, and her car. Jesus, Jesus took the wheel in that moment. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Is that is that what Noelle's uh, Mormon document teaches us? Yes. (laughs) Um, what's his name? Joseph Smith took the wheel in that moment. Oh my god. Okay, so what happens next? (laughs) Oh god. Um, so. After nearly crashing the car for apparently no reason, uh, they make their way to the Cullen's house in the forest. And Bella, the whole drive, is understandably super jumpy. And she freaks out when she notices that Alice and Emmett are following them. Also, she doesn't know that it's Alice and Emmett because she has no fucking idea what's going on. Because Edward just continues to hide all of these important details from Bella and waits until she's scared shitless to explain anything to her. Like, she literally almost... No, she screams in the car... And he puts her hand over his mouth and is like, stop, it's just Emmett. Like, wh- how is she supposed that to do that? That part was wild. Like, yeah, why didn't, yeah, if you just told her ahead of time, like, they're going to be running next to us. Yeah, no. I mean, it still would have been scary, though. Yeah, and she screamed, like, at the, like she said, like, a blood-curdling scream yes. came out of her. And I was like, holy fuck, like, Bella's finally actually scared. Yes, like, yes. This is finally the driving? point at which Bella has, like, an appropriate emotional reaction to what's happening in life. Can you imagine if you were driving that fast and then someone's face appeared <laughs> next to you? <laughs> I would also scream! <laughs> I feel like it'd be like, uh, what's that fucking dumb thing that, like, my mouth is, or, like, whatever, never mind. <laughs> I can't scream. I have I have no mouth yet. I must scream. <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself right now, but yeah, that's what I meant. I love you more than ever. Um so so okay, Edward at this point also just like casually starts talking to Bella about how he probably just has no choice but to kill James. And my question is if this is the case, I truly don't understand why they're running. Like, if, I don't know. If if Edward is like, well, it's just going to come down to me killing James. Like, why waste the time and energy to run? Like, just 
keep Bella safe at the house and then have Emmett guard the door of the room she's in or something while the other vampires just fight James. Like, haven't they already discussed how he'd be no match for all of them together? Like, what the fuck well, did they I need to take Bella all the way to Phoenix for? Well, I think it's... Okay, I th- I've thought about this a bit more since uh, I wrote my notes. And I think it's because at the time, they still don't know that... Edward, at least, doesn't know that Laurent uh, doesn't care about James. Yeah, I guess. They still. I think right now they still think they have to fight all three of them. Mm. Which that's, is, like, a bit more chaotic. Like, that's fair, but also immediately after this conversation, they get to the Cullens' house. Um, Emmett carries Bella into the house like a football, casually. Um, and Laurent is still there. And, like, when they explain to Laurent that James is tracking them to get to Bella, he's essentially just like, oh, whatever, I guess I was afraid of that happening. What can you do? So they find out that Laurent, like, doesn't give a shit. And Laurent's like, I'm just going to go fuck off to hang out with those other vampires in Alaska. Y'all do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, though they also revealed that James is the leader and yes. not Laurent like we thought. And, uh... But I guess... And, and that and that James is, like, unstoppable and, and, like, wild. So, like, that would also, though, kind of increase, like, okay, well, he's not gonna stop, then we should just kill him now. Right. Like, if they know that he's unstoppable, that he's not gonna stop until he gets to Bella, like, why lead him on a chase? Just... I don't know, because at first I thought it was because they thought that Carlisle wouldn't let them kill him because they're all like Carlisle's not gonna like it that we killed James. Right, but then they, but then, then, then Carlisle like, goes off to hunt have no choice James. but to murder him. So like, wh- I don't know. Yeah, and then my favorite part of this interaction with Laurent though is that he literally Laurent's reaction to everyone's relationship with Bella is so funny because it's just like he's not mad, he's just confused, and I feel the same way. Like I just don't understand. <laughs> he asks the Cullens if Bella's worth it. And Edward goes fucking nuclear. Like, he loses like, his ah! shit. But honestly, I have the same fucking question. And that's, by the way, that's how they describe it. They say his roar, like, filled the room or something. Yeah, he's like a... Just like, he's like, so literally... <laughs> is like, is... <laughs> it's like, is, is Bella worth it? And then... Edward does, like, the MGM, like... <laughs> the lion roar! <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh god so um so that of course they come up so okay so after that they come up with a plan to throw james off the trail for as long as they can instead of just fighting him like you know like would make sense and edward asks rosalie to switch clothes with bella and rosalie's reaction is great because she's just like I'm not doing anything for this bitch. Who even is she? Yeah, like, I... Who is she to me? When I Fuck reread... You. When I reread this book, like, as I'm rereading this as an adult, all of the characters who are supposed to be antagonistic uh, are suddenly the most sympathetic. Like, Rosalie is fucking livid that this random, boring-ass cardboard cutout of a human woman is disrupting their entire lives and putting them all in danger. And honestly, that is fair. Like, that is a fair reaction to this situation. And to be fair, I also would not want to trade clothes with Bella Long Khaki Skirt Swan either. Yeah, and like, I feel like in this scene, like as a kid, I was like, oh, Laurent or whatever, he sucks, Rosalie sucks. And now, like, these are the only two characters who are like being rational in any sense to me. Like, Rosalie, yes, Rosalie's reaction is like, I don't even, (laughs) I don't, I don't know her. (laughs) Mariah Carey style, I don't know her. Yeah, so after Rosalie refuses, Edward's just like, you're dead to me, except that he doesn't actually say anything. 
She describes it as, like, um, him just turning like she was nothing. Like, I think the actual... um, But I was watching Edward... Oh, this part was fucked up, actually. I forgot. This is a huge red flag. So... What actually happens on page 401 is, but I was watching Edward carefully, knowing his temper, worried about his reaction. Yes! He surprised me. He looked away from Rosalie as if she hadn't spoken, as if she didn't exist. Like, one, you should not be worried about your boyfriend's reaction Mm -mm. because he has a temper. Mm -mm. Like, you should not be frightened that he's going to lash out if he does not get his way. That's a huge red flag. And then his reaction to just be like, you're not going to do what I want? I know you're my family for, like, 80 years that you're just you are dead to me now nope because you're not willing to risk your life for someone that you don't even know it's wild oh what happened anyways so and uh so then after that um he just turns to esme and is like esme and esme just picks up (laughs) bella and carries up the stairs because like bella apparently has lost the use of all of her limbs and no one is bothered to tell us the readers because every time they need bella to move to a different place instead of being like follow me they just pick her up up. and also apparently esme is several inches taller than bella because she had to roll up her pant legs like a child (laughs) Um, i know the inclusion of that detail is so funny to me like i don't understand how tiny is bella he must because Everyone keeps picking her up like it's like like okay, Edward slinging her over his shoulder like a backpack or like Emmett carrying her like a football like how tiny is she because vampires aren't superhumanly large. And, like, I mean, like, the Esme only one of them her. that's like very big is Emmett, and I think they just say that he's like built like a very muscular football player, and he's the only one. Like Alice is very small. I think at some point Alice carries her. Uh, like Edward mm. carries her. Esme, like, runs her up the stairs. Like, I don't understand what size Bella Swan is supposed to be. I don't know. So then the team, the different teams go on their way after Alice assures them they'll succeed at throwing off the trail long enough for Jasper, Alice, and Bella to escape. Right, and so the teams are as follows for all of you that are trying to follow along with the plot here. And, like, I God bless you for trying. Um, Edward, Carlisle, and Emmett are going to go try to hunt James. And, again, not really clear why that's the plan. Um, Esme and Rosalie are going to stay in Forks to keep an eye on Victoria, who's the other vampire, um, and also make sure that Charlie is safe, I guess. Um, and then Jasper and Alice are taking Bella to Phoenix. Yeah, and I think that Rosalie only agrees to it because, like, Emmett had talked to her when they were upstairs. Right. And so, anyway, so this brings us to, by far, one of, like, the most, but it's definitely the most tender exchanges that Bella has had with the vampires. Which sucks that it's not with her boyfriend, but is with her, like... Boyfriend's, boyfriend's sister and husband, hus- not husband, they're not married, right? Partner? Rosalie and Emmett are married. Are Jasper and Alice, or are they just like... No, Jasper and Alice are just together. Rosalie and Emmett are married, which we only know because uh, it's conveniently shoehorned into the plot as a way for Bella to ask about vampire sex. Yeah, that's true. Any- yeah, and it has to just be them, or else she would ask about Alice and Jasper, too. Yep. So, yeah, they don't care about labels. Um, <laughs> so anyways, though, so Bella's left alone with Jasper, who tells her, he's, like, still far away from her because, as you might recall, Jasper's, like, the most uncomfortable around humans and has always kind of stayed away from her. But he's still kind of far away from her, but he still reassures her. He's like, I can feel what you're feeling, and it's not true. You are worth it. Um, and then she's like, no, it's not true. And he's like, no, you'll be, he's like, no, don't worry. We'll be fine. Like, it's a, 
it's okay. Yeah, and I, literally and my reaction to that was like, wow, Harry can almost cry at the simple gift from the universe. <laughs> but like... Um, really Jasper's so sweet and like he has really no reason to be and And then like and I I, so I agree with you that this is a really sweet moment and I think that also like what makes it stand out as being really sweet is that this is like the only time that anyone like it just it stands in such stark contrast to the way that like Edward treats her which I think is why it stands out so much um but also once again Bella's not fucking worth it she's not I appreciate yeah. that Jasper is trying to reassure her, but, like, she, come on, y'all. That's true. Um, and so then Al- Alice comes back and she asks Bella if she may carry her. And Bella says that she is the first person who asked her permission, or bothered to ask permission, is I think how she says it. Um, which, like, okay, Jasper and Alice, like, I'm starting to remember why I liked you two best. Yes. <laughs> like, like, and they're off. And it's, it's wild to me. Like, it, the fact that Bella consciously recognizes that like nobody at any point in any of these interactions is asking her for her consent like she just she like recognizes it and then just like oh well girl i know so anyways i feel like there's some other parts about this chapter that we couldn't really bring in to the talk of the plot but that i definitely want to mention yes like bella's secret cash oh my god yes i made a note about this because i think i literally wrote that it makes me uh think of like a doomsday prepper like so So bella when she's packing (laughs) grabs a secret hoard of cash that's underneath her bed which first of all like the cullens have plenty of cash they'll give you cash like you don't need money you're fine and like how did she get this cash like her mom as far as i can tell does not make a lot of money her dad's like a police chief at the beginning of the book tells us that she like lives in a working class suburb like and she, as far as we know, doesn't work. She doesn't currently work. Maybe she worked before. I mean, I guess she had to work before because she mentioned how she's going to have to, like, save up for a truck. So she was, like, planning to get a job. So I guess maybe she had a job when she was back in Phoenix. But the most important part of Bella's secret cash hoard is that she keeps it inside of a knotted old sock. <laughs> which okay, which like also begs man. the question, how much money could she have if it fits in a sock? Or is she just, does she just, like, have a bunch of hundreds? You know, like, Isabella... Even just a bunch of 20s could still be quite a bit of money in a sock. Yes. Anyways. Why would you keep your money in a sock? I don't know. I don't know her life. Why does she wear ratty pajamas uh, when her boyfriend's there and not her hot Victoria's Secret ones? Because she left them in Phoenix, Katie. She didn't think she was going to have to try to get laid in Forks, Washington. Anyways. Um... Um... Oh, and another part we need to mention is Carlisle giving everyone burner phones. Oh my god! Oh, this it's so funny. It's just like a very small detail that could be easily overlooked, but it is so funny to me that he just, he had them ready to go. (laughs) Let's see, he had them on hand. He was prepared for this He was like, he was like, you know, it's like at some point Carlisle thought to himself, you know, at some point, probably one of my weird adopted foster children is going to fall in love with a human. And rather than dissuade them from doing that, I'm just going to get burner phones from when we inevitably have to kill another vampire. See, I actually think that this part makes sense because they can only stay in a place for so long, right? Until they get caught and they have to disappear for a yeah, while. Yeah, So it's like a constant cycle of them doing that. And so 
as technology has gotten better, he's adapted to the ways, and he is now just has burner phones like on the ready. So when they, if something happens, one of them gets caught, they can easily just scatter. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess that makes sense. So actually, I love that detail. It's it's like bad writing that is accidentally good writing. <laughs> it's, it's whole book. There's um, a lot of this book that is bad writing that is accidentally good writing, and I know that it's not just good writing. Like <laughs> I know that that is she did not. Like, put it was it was bad, it, and it's just putting into it. It's so bad you know, that it's good. It's like um, you the know, books belong to the readers. They really complete the plot. Yeah, that's how. Uh, Public domain should be, that law should <laughs> oh. go back to how it used to be. Oh, we should start Anyways. a campaign to put Twilight in the public domain. Can you imagine? We need to change the public domain laws back to, like, what they were in, like, what was it, like, the 70s or something? I forget. We oh, need to man. change them. Um, the other thing that I want to touch on um, is that in the middle of Bella, like, freaking out, um, she just casually asks Edward how one would go about killing a vampire, um, and Edward tells her that the only way to be sure is to tear him to shreds and then burn the pieces. Cool. So now we know what to do to Edward. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, what was your favorite I, part of this chapter? Oh, okay. My favorite part of this chapter is the phrase appallingly luscious. I don't like that at all. It's, oh, it's bad. It, like, makes me uncomfortable to say it. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the word luscious in general. It's yeah. actually a little bit triggering to me because that's something that someone really who like hurt me said to me oh, one time. Gross. But like, it's it's so gross. It's really only gross. Really horrible people would say that. The only thing that I think the only thing that should be described as luscious is like a very rich chocolate cake. Even then, luscious should be banned from the banned from use. <laughs> so. Okay, context for this, though. At one point in this chapter, Bella is asking, maybe rhetorically, but honestly, maybe literally, why the fuck this is happening to her. And Edward tells her that the pickle that they're currently in is honestly partially her fault because she had the audacity to smell, and I quote, so appallingly luscious. Like, can you imagine what kind of person you have to be to think it's appropriate to say those words to anyone in real life? I don't understand how, like, whenever he tells her that she smells so good that he wants to murder her, or he's, like, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how it's always, like, flirting. Right. Like, I, like, I don't, and I just, okay, also the entire conversation that follows from this, um, Bella, and, and me also, to be quite honest, is confused because she was under the impression that she doesn't smell the same to other vampires as she does to Edward, right? Because, like, it's not as hard for Alice to be around her. Um, like, the whole the, the whole premise of this fucking novel is that she smells particularly good to Edward. And he says, that, like, yeah, that's true, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't still smell good enough to tempt other vampires. And as I was reading this, I thought to myself, okay, I get it. This is kind of like the way I feel about walking by a subway when I'm really hungry. Like, do I ever really want subway? Probably not. But does that sweet smell of a freshly baked Italian herbs and cheese loaf make me consider it? You bet it does. That I think. You know, it's funny that you say that because I'm reading my own chapter notes uh, about this part. And I feel like I had something kind of similar, but (laughs) (laughs) written down. I mean, a little different, but I wrote, 
Edward making light of this dangerous situation by flirting with Bella, by saying she smells appealing and it's her fault someone is trying to murder her, is so fucked up. But for real, I feel like he's flirting every time he says she smells good. I'm not flirting with my french fries when I say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, this is why, this is why this works. Uh, (laughs) What's your favorite part of this chapter and can it beat appallingly luscious? Yeah, oh god, it was so weird. It was so weird. Okay, Alice, Emmett, Emmett, wait, sorry, no, it was a command, sorry. Alice, Emmett, Edward's voice was a command. They slithered slithered soundlessly (laughs) into the darkness, instantly disappearing. I'm sorry, what? I cannot envision this at all. Like, they were still in the car, and then they slither out into the darkness? How? Do they, okay, first of all, you have to open the doors and then close them. Not if you're a vampire, you just slither, you know. Also, I cannot imagine someone who has been described as nothing but a bear this entire <laughs> book slithering out of anything. <laughs> Emmett and Slither do make, do make no sense. Do make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So they slither off into the darkness. uh, And that brings us to chapter 20, Katie. Could you you take us into chapter 20? I can. So chapter 20 is one of the more subdued chapters of the book we get so far. And honestly, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. Like, so we start off with Bella waking up confused. She quickly puts together that she's in a hotel room by the context clues of the blanket matching the drapes, which is not a gross (laughs) euphemism, but it's just a weird decision that (laughs) hotels make. That I will never truly understand. <laughs> like, honestly, hotels, do better. It's weird. Um, wait, okay, I also want to take a second to talk about the mechanics of their arrival. Because I was yeah. so I was so confused by this that I literally, like, I, I looked it up. Um, yeah, it needed to be. They, so, okay, so they made it from Forks to Phoenix in one day, driving. Um, and Bella says in the text that it should have been a three-day journey and that Jasper was driving at more than twice the legal speed. And I was like, how fast did he have to be driving for them to make a three-day journey in one day? So I looked it up. It is 1,500 miles from Forks to Phoenix. And driving at the speed limit, that would take a full 24 hours of driving. So I guess if you were driving over twice the speed limit and you didn't make any stops... You could do it in one day or, like, a straight shot, but doesn't Bella need to, like, eat or, like, pee or stretch her legs? And isn't there, like, traffic? Yeah. They are leaving at night, but, like, eventually you hit morning traffic. And you can't... I I get that they're vampires, but it's not Harry Potter. They can't fly above them. Yes, like, like I... You all are bound by the same mortal traffic laws as the rest of us. Like, I just... I don't understand... And they don't have, they don't have the... Also, wouldn't they have had to stop for gas? Yeah, I would think so. Like, I just, this is... I mean, I guess stopping for gas doesn't take that long. It wouldn't add that much more time. Yeah, but like, does Bella just sleep for a full, like, however long it, like a full 24 hours? Like, I, this... It wouldn't be 24 hours though at that point. It would be like 12 hours tops. I guess. I don't know. You could sleep for 12 hours. 
Anyway, I just, I think it's wild that up until this point in the book, we've been given all of the details of, like, every mundane aspect of Bella's life. And then at this point, it's like, 24 hours later, I woke up and we were in Phoenix. Like, Bella conveniently doesn't remember. So, yeah, Bella drives for call. She got there. And all she really remembers is Jasper driving 140 miles per hour down the <laughs> uh, freeway while Bella cried against Alice's chest in the back seat. Except, as your resident gay... I need to read this part aloud. Please. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Somehow, during the long night, my head had ended up against her granite neck. My closeness didn't seem to bother her at all. And her cool, hard skin was oddly comforting to me. The front of her thin cotton shirt was cold, damp with the tears that streamed from my eyes, until red and sore, they ran dry. (laughs) Please, someone tell me this isn't gay. Gay. I mean, I will not believe you, but like fight me online at E-P-S-I-L-I-N-A about it. (laughs) Um, Or just tweet, honestly, at Epsilina, just tweet some good Alice Bella fan fiction at me. In fact, you know what? If you do that. Uh, you'll <laughs> definitely get a shout out. Listen, in the next I know, I know that there are many of you out there that were scouring the internet for Alice Bella slash fic, and I know that you all still have it. So send it to Katie, please. Anyways, uh, they made the journey to Phoenix in a day somehow because, again, traffic doesn't exist, for, uh, and their vampire powers seem to extend to the vehicles that they drive. Um, and they stay at the hotel near the airport at Jasper's suggestion, um, which is where the rest of the chapter takes place. And it's basically a waiting game, as the title Impatience, which is a chapter title, uh, might suggest. Uh, it is a cycle of Bella sleeping, worrying, and asking questions. Uh, just as in the last chapter, we see Jasper and Alice actually treating Bella like a person and paying attention to her needs. Um, for instance, um, we get a moment with Jasper telling Bella that she's worrying about the wrong things and that they will be just fine. Um, and this is really different than how Edward does it. Yeah. So um, Edward in the last chapter, when she's like, I'm worried, like, I'm scared for you. He's like, Bella, don't you dare waste time trying to worry about me. Your only concern is keeping yourself safe. And please, please, trying not to be reckless. Yeah, and like, and Jasper is so much kinder about it. He's like, I understand that you're worried about us, but you don't need to be. We'll be fine. Like, just take care of yourself. Yeah. He's like, your priorities are out of order. Like, we'll be, we'll really be okay. We promise. Yeah. And the other, I think the other like small thing in here um, about like Jasper and Alice paying attention to her needs is that Alice just like continuously orders food for her because Alice remembers that she's a person that needs to eat. And it's just like such a small detail. She does say that Edward reminded her that though. That's true. She needs to eat a lot more than they do. Yeah. Okay. But it's still like a sweet gesture. It is. Um... Yeah, just, like, the difference between Jasper and Edward just saying this is just palpable. Um, so anyways, Bella, of course, does not believe that they are actually not in danger. Um, which, I mean, is real, because, like, I think they are. Yes. But um, at one point, she ends up alone with Alice in the bedroom. <sighs> and, uh, and nothing happens. Uh, and Alice reminds her again that there is no danger to them. And Bella asks... Would you tell me the truth, though? To which Alice replies, yes, I will always tell you the truth. And then they get married. Which would have been a much better um, ending. 
Yeah, like, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I, what I meant to say was, uh, Bella then casually asks how one becomes a vampire. Amazing. Um, and Alice is like, I would be so mad if I told you. And Bella's like, but you should do it anyway. Which and is, I, is I like, relate to that so deeply because nothing makes me want to know something more than somebody telling me that they're not supposed to tell me. Yeah, like, Alice builds it up a little bit. She's like, I'm really, Edward said I can't. He said I shouldn't. And Bella's like, um, I deserve to know. Yeah, finally, finally, like, you do deserve to know. For once in this fucking book, Bella goes, I don't give a shit about Edward. Just tell me. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, so after telling Bella that Edward doesn't want her to tell her that, she immediately doesn't anyway because Alice loves Bella deeply in her heart and wants nothing more than to turn her into a vampire and have a nice, loving, polyamorous relationship with Jasper and Bella. Um, this is canon. Great. <laughs> um, but anyways, after um, that happens, um, Alice does not really give us, honestly, there's like no new information here. Like if we already know all of this, yes. but they're acting like it's new information. You bite someone, you don't drink their blood, the venom spreads, they become a vampire. But like, it's hard because like who can eat just like one of their friend's fries and not keep sneaking more off their plate? <laughs> or like... Who can just eat the serving size out of a bag of chips? Like, not I, and certainly not bloodthirsty vampires. Yeah, no, my favorite part of this is Alice literally says that it's very difficult for somebody not to go on a feeding frenzy. <laughs> Isn't that like, wasn't that like a Spongebob Nickelodeon game? Yeah. yeah. Yes. It Anyways. was. Like an online, um, like, Nick.com game where you had to, like, avoid fish. Um, yes. Anyway. Anyways, Alice, uh, again... Reminds Bella that she does not remember turning into a vampire. And she doesn't know why, but then everyone else uh, says it's really painful, like passing a kidney stone or something. Okay. You know, like super painful. I feel like this also might be a pertinent moment to mention that I recently found out that Stephanie Meyer did precisely no research about vampires or vampire lore before writing this Yes, book. I remember learning that like years ago. Yes, like she literally said like, yeah, I just, uh, I just like wrote some stuff. Um, like none, no research at all. She just went straight off the dome with this shit based on whatever colloquial vampire knowledge she had stored in her brain from watching Queen of the Damned t- a thousand times or whatever. I love that though. I honestly, <laughs> the fucking balls. It's so good. Just the, the like sheer white lady confidence it takes to be like, I don't really need to do any research. I'm just going to write a teenage vampire romance novel. I'm going to make some shit up. Who cares? Like, Hey, it fucking worked for her. <laughs> um, so then suddenly, Alice jumps up because her future vision has told her something. She begins drawing a room with a VCR or, like, something, and there's a bunch of mirrors and a gold bar around, around the mirrors, and James is there for some reason. And somehow, she's like, oh, there's a room with a bunch of mirrors and a gold bar around them, and I don't know what that is. <laughs> like... Do vampires not know what ballet studios look like? Especially considering they always talk about Alice walking around like she does ballet. Yeah, like, like she's like, oh, she's so graceful. She probably could have been a dancer. Like, I know you know what a ballet studio looks like, bitch. Anyways, so just at that moment, Carlisle and Edward called to tell us what we already know, that they lost a trail and James got on a plane. Because James is not insane and doesn't drive. <laughs> um... <laughs> But also, I really love the... Okay, I know that Laurent uh, mentioned that James is just as comfortable around humans as they are, but I just love the idea of a vampire just being on an airplane. 
<laughs> Vampires on a plane. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, so Bella gets to speak to Edward on the phone, which is uh, just as cringeworthy as you would expect. Oh God, to be. it's so bad. It's really upsetting. Yeah, we get treated to such lines as Edward angrily saying, I told you not to worry about anything but yourself. Yeah, fuck that. After Bella exclaims that she was so worried about him. Which, again, like, nice contrast to the caring way Jasper tells uh, that to Bella. And by, of course, uh, by nice contrast, I mean, Bella, holy shit, get out of this relationship. Like, please, love yourself. Oh, okay. And then after Bella reminds Edward that she loves him, which is how it's phrased, um, he says... Could you believe that? Despite everything I've put you through, I love you too. And let me tell you, lovely listeners, I do not believe nope, him. No, not for a second. I really don't. Yeah, okay, so this is, this. I'm glad you brought this up because this is a thousand percent my red flag for this week. Um, like, what kind of abusive ass logic is I forced you to ruin your relationship with your dad and flee across the country so that I can hunt down a murderous vampire while constantly scolding you like a child and I'm doing all of this because I love you? Fuck no. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Yeah, I feel like my red flag is actually, like, a little less distinct, but uh, it's more on the difference between how Alice and Jasper treat Bella versus how Edward does. Because, like, I've been in abusive relationships, and uh, usually it's, like, times like this when I was, like, temporarily, temporarily separated from that person for one reason or another, and I was treated with actual love and kindness by other humans, that it, like, reminded me how I was supposed to be treated and that, like, was, like, the final red flag of, like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like to yes. be around people who care about you. And Bella just, like, doesn't have the awareness necessary for that. And I think that, like, that, again, just... She's, she's in too to much it. trauma right now. Yes. Oh, man. Anyway, four pages after uh, Alice first... first yeah, four pages after Alice uh, first says she saw a room with mirrors and a gold bar... Bella finally points out that it's ballet studio, which somehow, again, no one has put together without her help. Um, she says that it looks like one she went to as a kid. And they were like, are you sure it's the same one? And she's like, no, it's a ballet studio. They all look the same. Correct. And then they're like, but is there any reason for you to go there? And she's like, no. Have you seen me walk? There's a reason you all carry me everywhere. Uh, she's like, it's just, I mean, it might... I mean, there's a door in the same spot the bathroom was, but, like, I don't know. It's, like, a fucking studio. Who, who knows? They look the same. Uh, but they're like, well, where is it? And she's like, oh, it's, like, by my mom's house. And then she's like, oh, it's yeah. by my mom's house. Um, so then it would have to be, like, the worst move since Harry Potter broke into the Ministry <laughs> of Magic. <laughs> Bella choice. calls her mom to tell her to call her immediately and not go anywhere until she speaks to her. Cause, like, that's a great move. I'm sure that no one will use that against you. No one's listening to those messages. No one's... Like, god damn it. Fucking idiot. Anyways, though. Now, I don't know what, what you think, Sahana. But I do have to say that this chapter did feel different than most chapters in the book, to me, at least. Like, I felt like the writing was a lot better. Um, and, like, the, maybe it's just, like, the characters were more interesting. It yes. was, like, more subdued and, like, more about, like, their emotional reactions to things. And, like, it was, like, I mean, it's basically like the calm before the storm, but it was actually done, like, well. Like, it was a like, successful build to, like, a dramatic moment. Right. And, like, for once, Bella didn't seem like such an idiot. Like, 
you know, she's like, yeah, like, when they asked for the ballet studio, like, are you sure? She wasn't like, yeah, so my like, God, my mom's in danger immediately. She was like, I don't know. It could be, like, any ballet studio. Yeah, like, and, why like, would I, I think, go there? I think what this chapter, because I agree with you, I think that this is one of the better chapters in this book, and I think it's because there's, like, room for, like, more sort of, like, nuanced character portraits, and I think that what that really shows us is that this book benefits so much from the absence of Edward Cullen. Like, what? Yeah, like... <laughs> Like so Jasper much. in particular, in these last two, like, I feel like we didn't know anything about Jasper before, really, not much. Like, we never really got to see him in action, and then these last two chapters are the first time we really do, and I feel like before this, we were really, we were painted to, like, really be distrustful of Jasper, because Edward's like, oh, he's uncomfortable on humans, and I kept thinking that when we finally met him, he would be, like, hostile or, like, edgy or weird, and really, he's just, like pretty caring and i mean he does some but it's like we i I, you're right and i think we also have to talk about the other side of that though yeah we definitely do because it's i struggled i had like an ethical dilemma yes so for people who don't know or don't remember jasper's power is he's basically like a strong ass empath and he can make people he can both sense how people are feeling, which is not something we were told before, but exactly explicitly, but it's made clear now that he can feel how people are feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can also make them feel how he wants them to. And we see this used previously. I always thought this was just like only dangerous and only fucked up. But then I had some kind of dilemma when I was reading it because, um, you know, like I started to kind of wonder, like, is it always bad? Like... Um, yeah, because there's the part because, in, the, in like one of the previous chapters where like when the Cullens are having a conversation with the uh, like the three other vampires, like Jasper uses this power to like like level the tension in that situation so that everyone like stays calm and no one's trying to fight. Yeah, or like he, when he's trying to comfort Bella, like I felt you know because we're all influencing people to feel the way we want them to using whatever means we have at our disposal. But like for me, it's like a hug. Uh, and for him, it's, like, his power. You know, like, if I'm hugging someone when I'm comforting them, I'm trying to make them feel calm and good. And he, when he comforts Bella, calms her down a little bit. Like, she still knows that she's upset, but, like, he lessens it. And so, like, when I read it, like, that way, I was like, okay, that's fine. But then, like, it, but then on the flip side of that, he'll just be like, I'm gonna smush all your emotions like a giant Xanax. Uh, and one that she did not choose yeah, to take. I think this is such a, like, I, I appreciate you using that metaphor so much because that's what I was thinking of. Like, in the next chapter, and we'll get to this, but, like, in the next chapter, there is a point at which Jasper literally tries to put Bella under without her consent. At, at Alice's direction. Yeah, and she finally gets really upset about it and leaves, but it's, like, it's one thing to be comforting and it's another to completely incapacitate somebody because you've decided that they can't handle their emotions. Like, that... Like you said, it feels like when people are involuntarily medicated and it's gross. Yeah, so it's, like, very complicated, like, the ethical, like, limits of his powers. And, like, I feel like at Jasper tries to use it for good in a lot of ways, but, like, he's so far removed from, like, humanity being in this very ethically gray household that I feel like if he were, like, I feel like Jasper has just, like, hopped from, like, toxic household to toxic household. Yes. Anyways, um, I okay. So I want to talk about my favorite part of this chapter, which is by far Alice comparing vampires with a carnivorous flower. Like she literally says, "Yeah, we're like a fucking Venus flytrap because we're physically attractive to our prey," which just 
I don't know what you thought of when you read that part, but all I could think of was Little Shop of Horrors. And now I'm just imagining every vampire yelling, feed me, Seymour. <laughs> I honestly, this is one of the first times where your favorite part was a part that I like barely registered. Really? <laughs> but I also like don't like Little Shop of Horrors that much. So That's that might be why. I just, I don't love Little Shop of Horrors. That's just immediately what I thought of. Yeah. Um, so my favorite part was, uh, definitely the scene where Alice, Jasper, and Bella were all cuddling in bed together. I don't think I remember that part happening, Katie. That, that didn't happen? No, I don't think that it did. Okay. Um, it might have been in my dreams. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> I got any favorite part. Okay. Um, well, Bella does legitimately mention that Alice followed her from room to room, never leaving her alone. So I guess my real favorite part is when they took a shower together. Are we sure that that was canon? That was canon. (laughs) Okay, all right. And it was not in a fan fiction that I'm hoping someone will write for me and send to at Epsilina, E-P-S-I-L-I-N-A, on Twitter. (laughs) I'm just going to give you that one. You can have it. Okay. Um, Next chapter. I I hear it's called Phone Call. it It is called Phone Call. I wonder what happens in this chapter. I don't know. <laughs> so, Bella wakes up again uh, in the middle of the night in the hotel room, disoriented as fuck, um, only to find Alice drawing a vision again. And, um, okay, so, Katie, do you, did you ever watch Heroes? Did you just ask me if I watched a show that Milo was in in the mid-2000s? Okay. Like, it was an actual this question. Is, this is a fair point, uh, because I also watched the show pretty much exclusively because it featured Milo. Um, anyway, do you... Remember Santiago Cabrera's character? Also, a shout out to Lancelot. More like Lancelot. Oh Am I right? I have been rewatching Merlin <laughs> because I am trash. Why but would honestly, you do that to yourself? Honestly, I love it. It's like exactly what I was hoping. It, I, it holds up in the way that I thought it would, okay. which is that it's a bad monster of the week show yes. with, with characters that are pretty fun. Yes. Uh, but, anyways, though. I love you, Lancelot. I love you so oh, much. Yes. Gwen should have been with you, honestly. Correct. This is a correct Anyways. assessment. Okay, so, but on Heroes, on the first season of Heroes, Santiago Cabrera plays a character named Isaac, who is a painter who, like, paints his, like, future visions while he's high on heroin. And that uh-huh. is that is sort of how I imagine Alice when she's drawing her visions. Um, also... Aside, Merlin is great. You should all watch it. Shout out to John Hurt, Mr. Mask of Ancient Sadness himself. May you rest in peace. I love you. Love you, John um, Hurt. I forgot about that that character, though. Um, not the dragon from Merlin, but uh, <laughs> Isaac. Um, but I think, okay, this part actually, again, is good writing that maybe maybe was actually good writing, but maybe bad writing. I, I'm not sure. Or good writing an accident. Um, because it actually makes sense. That over the last, like, 60 or 80 years or whatever, that Alice, who can see the future, would spend a lot of time crafting her artistic skills yes. so that she could portray what she's seeing. That's like, that is actually like, oh, that's logical. Like, yes. oh, I have these future visions. I'm trying to describe them. You know what? Let me just practice drawing so I can draw them for you. Why? See? Oh, man. Um, so Alice is, she's drawing a new room. It's not the mirror room that she'd been drawing earlier. Um, And Bella immediately recognizes this room as her mom's house. And I think, I honestly feel like the moment at which she points to the drawing and she goes, the phone goes there, um, is one of the only times in this book that Stephanie Meyer manages to successfully pull off dramatic suspense. 
So like that was exciting. Yeah, like I actually I read that and I was like, oh shit, it's her mom's house. Like well, she. It was exciting because the narration was like it's from Belle's point of view, and she's like, oh, it was like, you know, an intricate carpet and um, an old TV on a stand that's too small for it with a sectional couch, and and then. And then she just out loud says, the phone goes there. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, fuck. It's <laughs> really, like, this is the only part I think I can think of in this novel where, like, the, like, suspense is written well. Um, so yeah. I guess props to Stephanie Meyer for that. Um, so at this point, everyone fucking panics because it means that the tracker has followed the three of them to Phoenix or is on the way there and is going to try to go to her mom's house. So... Alice immediately calls Carlisle and they decide once again, without consulting Bella, um, that the three remaining Cullen men, so Carlisle, Emmett, and Edward, are going to come get Bella and hide her for a while. Um, Which I don't get. Why don't they just leave? Why don't they just stay put? Who knows? I Every time they make a new decision about what to do in this situation, I don't understand why that that's the choice that they're making. They're like, like, let's bring Bella into public and expose her. Right. And um, they literally... At, at the airport, the most likely place. Yeah. And they've already... Stay put. We've already established that, like, James's whole thing is that he's going to continue to, like, hunt her. So how is taking her to another place and trying to hide her going to help? Like, they've already said that the only option they have is to eventually kill James... So why not just like stake out her mom's house and wait for him to show up, like position somebody at the hotel with Bella and then put another group of people at the uh, dance studio and then put another group of people in Bella's mom's house and just like wait for him to show up. I think that is what they're doing, but they're moving Bella. I don't understand why. Also, which I don't get. Like why like waste? She stay alone in that hotel room, honestly, and it would be just as safe. But. Like because he has no idea that she's there because he's following clues, like Sherlock. Like he's being like, I'm gonna go to her mom's house because her mom is there. Right. Like, um, he doesn't. He doesn't. He hasn't followed their scent. Like he's just stabbing at things close to her. So why would they just like not just leave her in this random spot in the airport? It does like, not make any fucking sense. Um at this point also Bella reminds us once again that the she cares more about seeing Edward than she does about her own safety. And I remind us for the eight hundredth time that Isabella Swan could benefit greatly from going to therapy. Holy shit, Bella, what the fuck? Um Okay, so this is the point at which, we, I just mentioned this, but this is the point at which Jasper decides that Bella's fragile constitution can't handle no, all No, not Jasper. Alice. Jasper does it, but at Alice's nod. Oh, that's almost Alice worse. Alice looks at Jasper and, like, nods at him, and then he does this. That's almost worse. So he... I know. He fucking tries to put her to sleep without her consent. And, I, and it's implied that he had been doing this the whole time, and that's how she's been sleeping. So yeah, so I almost, so I, like, I actually think that we could maybe read this part directly. Like, the section where Bella describes what's happening, um, because when I read it, I was so alarmed by how much it sounds like somebody being drugged. Um, oh, yeah. So, could you read this section for us, Katie, please? Yeah, of course. Um, okay, one second. Okay, so, um, so Bella says... A deep, heavy fog. Or a, okay, wait. No, I don't want to read it. Is it? Why? <laughs> <laughs> do you say lethargy or do you say lethargy? <laughs> Ooh, Katie realizes something. Um, I always say lethargy. I guess it could be lethargy because you say lethargic, but I always say lethargy. Lethargy. 
a deep fog or nothing else <laughs> washed over me. And my eyes closed without my permission. My mind struggled against the fog, realizing what was happening. I forced my eyes open and stood up, stepping away from Jasper's hand. Like, extreme yikes. This is fucked. Like, that sounds very much like someone being, like, sedated mm-hmm. against their will. Mm-hmm. Which is what's happening. Um, okay, so Bella fucks off by herself to finally cry in panic and peace, which I get it. Um, and she does this for... She's very specific that she does this for exactly three and a half three hours. hours. Three and a half hours, she says. Oh, three and a half hours, okay. Um, at which point the phone rings um, again, um, and she hears Alice uh, talking to somebody, and then Alice tells her that Edward and the boys will be in Phoenix shortly. Um, and at this point, the phone rings a second time, and Alice tells Bella that it's her mom calling back. Um, and this is where the book gives us the plot of a horror B-movie. And what's sad is that this is by far the most inventive plot writing we've gotten from Stephanie Meyer at any point in this book. And still there are massive, massive plot holes. Um, but I will get there. So here's what happens. Bella picks up the phone. She hears her mom's panicked voice on the other end. And so she immediately tries to start calming her mom down. She's like, I'm fine. Like, everything's fine. You don't need to panic. And she notices that her mom doesn't respond. So... Who does respond, you may be asking yourself. None other than James the Tracker. Such intrigue. So James tells her that he's kidnapped her mom and is holding her hostage, I guess. Um, And then he tells her what to say so that it sounds like she's talking to her mom and she won't raise any suspicions. And here is where I have some fucking questions. Am I supposed to believe that superhuman vampire hearing... I have to pause you here real quick. Okay. Every time on our Google Doc that you write the word, you write it, you write suspicious instead of suspicion. Oh, I didn't. And I, one time I erased it and I, I made it suspicions and then you went back and made it suspicious again. And I'm now concerned that you think the word is suspicious. No, it is suspicions. I, I saw it as I was I reading it. I was like, that's suspicious? not the right word. Because I remember distinctly last time fixing it for you and watching you uncorrect it. I, that can't be true. It is. I could go back Google Docs tracks everything <laughs> that you do, and I could go I, back and show you. I I am I am confirming that I know that the word is suspicions. <laughs> to be fair, I also wrote this note at like two thirty a.m. yesterday, <laughs> and I was Anyways. eating a croissant while I wrote that note, so I typed it with one hand. Anyways, okay, continue. So, she, Bella. So I'll continue because you're laughing. So Jasper, like, so they move away to one room, and somehow they can't hear him on the phone, even though they both have crazy hearing abilities. Like, I don't and, like, understand. I can this. hear someone on the phone from like across the room on a regular phone, like, right? With regular human ears. And it literally, so earlier in this chapter, or maybe in the previous chapter, we like it, Bella tells us that Jasper can hear Alice whispering from one hotel room away. They, like, meet each other at the door because Jasper hears her from the other hotel room. And I'm supposed to believe that, but I'm not... But I'm also supposed to believe that Alice wouldn't be able to hear James's voice on the phone from one room away. Like, that's... Also, what fucking good are Alice's future powers? I... I, do, I don't know. Like... 
it seems like we've talked before about how Alice's future vision is kind of like Garnet's where it's like she doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. She can just sort of like see all of the available possibilities based on like what's happening in the present. But that doesn't seem particularly useful in this situation. Anyways, so what what happens in the film? Okay, so James tells her to walk into another room so that, and I quote, your face doesn't ruin everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and as someone who once had to lie to a white dude because my facial expressions were giving away how terrible he was, I sympathize with Bella in this moment. Um, but for that reason, you only that once reason, had to lie to a white dude. <laughs> so uh, there was a really uh, brief aside. Um, when I was in grad school, there was a really awful white dude in several of my classes. He's the kind of guy who would raise his hand and be like, oh, this is more of like a comment than a question. And then would like go on forever. Um, and I am a person that has a lot of difficulty controlling my facial reactions to things. Um, and I thought that I was doing a fairly good job and also that he wasn't paying attention to me. But one day after class, he literally came up to me and he's like, I, I noticed that sometimes you like you like make a face when I talk. And I'm like wondering what that's yeah. about. Oh, my God. And I literally went, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh-huh. so, that makes more sense now. Um, all of which to say, I sympathize with Bella in this moment, uh, but for this reason alone. Um, and like again, like she walks into another room because presumably, like he says, he doesn't want her face to give it away. Um, but he even confirms that Alice could hear her from another room, which is why he makes her walk away. So I don't understand how we're supposed to believe that Alice like doesn't know what's going on. Um, and the other thing is that James says, so again, James has told Bella that he has her mom. He's holding her hostage. And he's like, oh, yeah, your mom arrived ahead of the schedule. Like, I thought I was going to have to wait a while for her to show up, but I have her now. Um, and it's wild to me that Bella doesn't immediately see through this, considering that in the last chapter, she literally told us that she was very closely monitoring the news on TV for any. She she says that she is monitoring the TV for any terrorist attacks that might have brought her mom home early. She says that. Well, not to mention the fact that she literally, like, um, like, they saw him playing with a VCR. Yeah. Like, so. Like, you don't think this is some home movie bullshit? Right. Like, Like, this is, it's fucking stupid. And so, okay, so, uh, James tells her that in order for him to not kill her mom, what she needs to do is get away from Alice and Jasper and go to her mom's house and then he'll like write a phone number for her and it'll be by the phone and then she has to call him from there and he'll tell her what to do. And which she's seems, like, I don't know where to go, so whatever. Which is like, right, which is a, a dumb additional step. Um, but initially Bella's like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get away from Alice and Jasper. And then he's like, what if your mom's life depended on it? And she's like, I guess I'll try to slip away from them at the airport. I don't fucking know. Um, so she says she'll do it. She hangs up. And after consulting precisely nobody and taking a full four seconds to think about this, everyone's favorite dumb bitch comes to the decision, well, uh, I guess I might as well die. Guess I'm just going to die. Uh, like She literally decides that the only way to resolve this situation and make sure that this psychopath doesn't kill her mom is to just let him kill her. And my question about this is, like, what possesses Bella to think that he's just going to leave her mom alone after that? Like, cool logic. I don't 
No, it makes no sense because, like, he's literally like a vampire who doesn't care about humans. He's not like a fucking vegan like the rest of them. Like, he's just gonna eat both of them. Yes, like, it, like they literally earlier when they first met, they were like, oh yeah, we just like killed a bunch of people outside of Seattle to eat them. Like, what makes her think that he's not gonna kill her mom anyway? Um, yeah, there are a variety of reasons that I don't understand this decision, but I think chief among them is the fact that Bella literally has a team of superhuman warriors backing her up. They're going to be there in like a couple of hours. Like, why does she not just wait? Like, I know that James tells her that if he gets the slightest hint that she's bringing anyone with her, he'll kill her mom, which fine. It's kind of scary. Uh, I get that. But also, these are literal vampires i feel like they could probably take she is a traumatized 17 year old though i mean i guess like that's fine um but the other thing this is a small uh point of contention but again like so james is like like you have to do this before noon uh we heard earlier from bella that it's about 5 30 in the morning when he calls her um so she has a good amount of time and also alice explicitly told us that edward's plane edward and carlisle and emmett their plane is getting in at 9 45 which is plenty of time before noon to come up with a plan like what why would you just decide like i'm just gonna go i guess i'm just gonna go get eaten like um what i don't know um also uh, there's a bonus holy shit bella go to therapy moment in all of this uh because in this madness bella's primary concern is that her decision to just let herself get eaten is gonna piss off edward like that's what she's concerned about not the prospect of actually being eaten well i mean like bella's in divorce oh god so like this is actually like a really great opportunity for her why like, would, win-win. I, I hate you i hate you so much why would you bring that up um <laughs> So Bella, um, honestly, and I think it's pretty unconvincing, but Bella tells Alice that she successfully convinced her mom to stay in Florida, um, wait to come back to Phoenix. And you can't convince your mom to do anything, especially stay away from you if you <laughs> no. seem like you're in trouble. Like, can you imagine if one of us called our moms and was like, hey, um, something really bad is happening, but don't panic and also stay where you are. No. In no if situation. I told my mom to stay in Florida, which is where she lives, she might do that. Yeah, but like... Not if you were, like, calling her panicked and was like, everything is bad, but uh, don't help. <laughs> so Alice apparently blindly, blindly accepts this because here in the magical world of Twilight, sometimes we just ignore character arcs for the sake of plot. Um, so Bella then asks Alice to give a note to her mom for her, but in reality goes to write a goodbye note to Edward. This it is... It me out. Like, your mom deserves a note. Yes. Yes. I... Yes. This, it's fucked that she is like, I guess my mom will just... Well, maybe she thinks that she's going to see her mom, right? Because she thinks that James has her mom. Yeah, but you're not going to get to say goodbye during that time. Yeah. You're going to be a bit busy being murdered. <laughs> hey, mom, sorry about all the murder. <laughs> I fell in love with a vampire. Oh, yeah. Bella's too busy being murdered. Um, I fell in love with a monster man, and this is what happens. <laughs> um, anyway. But I think... Okay, so I think that Bella's goodbye note to edward is by far my favorite part of this chapter i think we need to take a minute to discuss this um and i just want to remind everybody that this is essentially a suicide note because she's decided that she's just gonna let herself be killed by a vampire um so let's take a moment to talk about this note that bella writes for edward um i i would 
love, Katie, to get your take on the change in font. They talk about how her handwriting was, like, illegible, and they choose this, like, kind of fancy, like, calligraphy font, almost. Not fancy, but, like, it's, like, a nice-looking, like, Harry Potter quill writing font. Yes, it, and, like, it looks like it's written it's very legible with, like, a fountain pen. Um, like, why didn't they have someone actually handwrite it to so do, like, a handwritten font? Like, this is also the only place in the entire book that the font changes. It's so dumb. Who made this it stylistic is. choice? Like, what is it for? I don't know. Um, okay, the other thing is like, what is this note supposed to convey? Like, considering that Bella's about to go get herself murdered, it's pretty weak. Like, I think the body of the note, essentially, all it really says is like, hey, bud, sorry, I have to go die now. Tell Alice and Jasper I said thanks, love you, bye. Yep. Like, that's, that's really it. I know. I like how she could have just said that to, like, she should have just written a note for Alice and Jasper. And yeah. just, like, left it. Like, the only other thing of note that she says is at the very end, she's like, please don't go after James. Like, that's what he wants. Don't go looking for him. And, like, we all know. Like, Edward would ever listen. Yeah. Like, there's no situation in which that's not what Edward's going to do. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's my. That, that was your favorite part? That's my favorite part. What's your favorite part my of this chapter? My favorite part was on the phone call when <laughs> Bella's like, because he's like, I have your mom. I, I, I definitely have your mom. And I definitely, and like, Bella's like, where's Phil? And James, who clearly has no idea who the fuck <laughs> Phil is, <laughs> is like, James is just like, wait, fuck, who's Phil? I did not come up with a fake story for Phil. Shit. I'm just gonna ignore the question. He's like, um, I told you only to talk uh, when I told you to. <laughs> Bella doesn't find that suspicious at all. Ah, uh, God. Um, but that, my beautiful blood-sucking babes, is the cliffhanger with which we leave you for this episode. Yeah. So we only have a couple episodes after this one. Yeah, we've somehow managed to survive pumping our brains full of this garbage weekly. Yeah, we have one more episode to finish with the book. And one more, we're going to dive right into Catherine Hardwick's masterpiece, Ooh, Twilight the Movie, wait. which is now available on Hulu. Um, but anyways, we have a task for you all. We want you to talk to us. So what we really want from y'all before then is for you to tweet at us at STBC podcast uh, with your 2019 Dreamcast for Bella, Edward, and any other characters you feel strongly about. Yes, please. What actors do you want to see? Um, who's fit in those roles? And if you do, we will give you a shout out on the next episode. And we will then later on have a vote for the fan favorite Dreamcast prior to the last episode. Yes, we are going to throw a poll up on the Twitter. Um, so hit us with your amazing Dreamcast. I, for one, cannot wait to see what y'all come up with. Um, if you've been listening, you know that we already have had some pretty great ones on the show so far. I don't know how any of you is going to beat Brian Cranston as Edward Cullen. So that's our challenge for you. Do your best. Honestly, maybe they won't. Like, he might win the pool. It's <laughs> <laughs> a strong possibility. So, thank you for listening. Um, again, tweet us at STBC Podcast. Subscribe to us on Podbean or iTunes. Uh, tell your friends about us. Please rate us. Leave us a sweet review on iTunes. Uh, don't forget to send Cat Alice Bella slash fic. Um, <laughs> that's all we have we for you. you. Yeah, we love you. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>